my name is Jason Reichel, and you're listening to Kill Your Silos, where this week my guest is Tanner from Spiff. Hello, Tanner. How are you? Doing good, Jason. How are you doing? Good. I'm really good. In every episode of Kill Your Silos, we answer the one question on the heart of every operator's mind. There must be a better way to manage all of this shit. And indeed, there is. To me, it's called revenue operations, and we're about to find out what it means to you, Tanner. Awesome. Excited to chat. Are you ready to go? Let's do it. All right. Awesome. Uh, one thing I like to start every episode off with is a little bit about you and your journey and how you ended up in that chair right there uh, on this podcast. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I've, a lot of luck, I think, has gone into that. It depends on how you define luck, right? But uh-huh. uh, about four and a half years ago, uh, I actually thought I wanted to be a consultant. Um, I had this like sick dream in my mind to go work for McKinsey or Payne. And um, I, I wasn't smart enough, by the way. So like it was a fit. It was a it was a a flawed dream, but um, <laughs> I as I was as, as I was prepping for my uh, my uh, case study interviews, right? I actually was talking and worked with one of my mentors, who at the time was the CEO and founder of CapShare, which uh, is a cap table management software, and they had actually just like even just a few days before I, I'd been in there, they had been acquired by Solium, which is now acquired by Morgan Stanley. Um, and I was talking with him there, and, and he was a consultant, like a previous consultant, working through that with me, and, and he. Uh, Basically, was like, look, you can go be a consultant. You can go live that life if you want to. He's like, I'll support you. I'll help you. You know what you can't. I can't. Or he's like, I, I'm already going to start my next thing. Um, and I can't go over for a year. And I need someone to be an extension of me and to kind of be a generalist for a minute. So the rest of them there is kind of history. Um, I've played lots of different roles. I mean, we were, I was a full-time employee, number one. Uh, lucky enough to be on the co-founding team here at Smith. And we've grown that now uh, from zero employees to about 250 and raised, raised a lot of money from a lot of the top firms uh, around the world. And uh, it's been an awesome ride. So my mine's probably a little non-traditional as, as I, I had a, a kind of an opportunity to go kind of one way or the other as I was kind of growing up inside of Spiff in my career, uh, but just fell in love with revenue um, and the whole, that whole side of the go-to-market motion and the go-to-market enablement and every part of it. Let's talk about that because my career is similar in that I was doing more technical uh, items and get kind of uh, swept up into the world of revenue and the world of, uh, you know, SaaS, so to speak. Um, when you talk about luck, well, what is, what do you feel like has enabled you to be successful with that luck? Because I often say the same thing. I say, hey, I think that I'm opportunistic and I'm looking for the things where I think that I can be lucky, but half of my success is luck and the other half is perseverance. Do you feel a similar uh, liken to that statement? Yeah, so I think the way I look at luck is it's actually kind of an equation, right? It's it's something about putting yourself in the right situation and having the right preparation and work put up for that. So um, like when I say lucky, it's like not everyone's going to have a mentor that they happen to have that all of a sudden starts a business. But even though... Um, like I, I used to, mow, so just as, as background, I used to mow this guy's lawn when I was like 14 years old, trying to make money to go buy who knows what. Um, and so, I, and then like, he had seen me and I'd, I'd worked, I'd always been a hard worker. Um, and he was pretty uh, aware of like what I was trying to do, notice the ambition. And so like, even though um, I was lucky to be in that situation in a lot of ways, I put myself there and I feel like I was kind of, more or less like ready and, and like prepared for that opportunity. Um, and I, I think that's, I always say that luck's an equation of um, opportunity times preparation because it's, it's, it, it's a multi, like it's a multiplier, um, not, not a linear equation. Yeah. I, uh, 
before my career here, I, I worked in special effects and, and I have this friend who also works in special effects and works at the current company that I'm the CRO of. And we were talking one day and he has a reputation at the organization for being um, very helpful and well, well liked, but not liked in the way that, you know, he's bribing people with alcohol beverage, but just the way that he's helpful. So people find him totally. Uh, uh, a kind and, and, and a good person. And I asked him, Hey, where did you pick that up? Because it was something that I was seeing in my other teammates that people didn't have that perception of people who genuinely wanted to help, but just didn't have the same perception. And he said that when he was working in film and TV and movies, he worked on set a lot. And you never knew if the person that was bringing the coffee was going to be the next director or the next whatever. So he was always positioning himself with being helpful to everyone, being kind to everyone, uh, not disrespecting people just because of the job they're doing today might not be uh, the most prestigious job, but it could be on the next set or the one after that. And so uh, understanding that about SaaS, I think is a thing that a lot of people don't understand about our industry, particularly, which is you need to be helpful and kind because, you know, the guy who was mowing your lawn five years ago might be your <laughs> co-founder, you know, not that you started the company when you were 19, but the, yeah. the example being, I think apt, uh, do you have any tips for on how to be useful and how to show up in the, in the way of putting yourself in the best position for life? Yeah, and so like, uh, it's really funny. Cause I actually, I literally just posted this today on LinkedIn. Um, first off, always have an attitude to offer to help first. Um, and if you don't think you have something to offer, then you need to dig a little bit deeper. Um, I have gone through plenty of cycles of imposter syndrome through through my time here at Spiff. I mean, we were twenty. I was twenty four when we started Spiff. Um, I actually hadn't even graduated college yet. I was I was a senior, um, and like I was in the room with big shot VCs. I was shaking the hands of like some like through the networking effect of being a startup and, and some of the people that I had, uh, or I already kind of knew, um, met people who were been doing this for 20, 30 years, but you always have something to offer. Everyone has unique experiences, unique past, or even if it's just offering to do something like you offer first, always put yourself out there and you'll build that reputation for yourself where people will want to come back and help you. Yeah. I think that's really helpful advice. I think that, you know, you and I have a similar uh, past. I'm, I'm older now than I was in the past, but I was working at consulting for a long period of time. And I was often the youngest person in the room and had to work really hard on my ability to be helpful and assertive in order to show that I was not a, like not beyond or below any job within in the thing. And found that through doing that, I, I built a reputation of being very very useful. And I think it's something that we don't talk a lot about anymore. There was this book that I used to give to every consultant that started for me, which was called How to Be Useful. Uh, and the book was very interesting because it was about basically not having the attitude of entitlement, which is something that, you know, I kind of talk a lot about when I'm looking for people on RevOps to hire. What are some of the key things that you look for when you're hiring people for your revenue team, since we're talking about this luck and, and putting your best foot forward? Yeah, um, you know, it's 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 changed through stages, right? So I think in the earlier days of, of Spiff, which meaning like a year ago, two years ago, when you're when you're talking about RevOps, I cared a lot about um, one kind of believing in the team and being willing to be flexible. So like you had to have some of like there's table stakes for any job that you get to, right? Um, I believe that's that there's probably less of those that people generally do, um, but 
So we're looking for we were looking for people who yeah knew, knew their way around the systems, were flexible, were bringing ideas to the table, and were, were collaborative. Um, and then the team was too small. You got to find people who are culture ads, right? You got to find people who are going to help add to the culture. People are going to help push out, push you. Um, and someone who was smarter than we were as far as like systems and operations and processes so we could take this thing and grow it. Um, I mean, we've grown, we've grown over hundred percent in the last 12 months as far as headcount goes. And so um, there's just things that are going to break. There's things, that's a lot of work. It's a lot of stress. And so finding someone who can actually handle that and, and enjoy it is, I mean, that, that's what we were kind of looking for in that process. hundred um, percent. While you've been working, you said you grew hundred percent over the last year and, and, you know, there's a lot of things against us these days, you know, everything from the COVID uh, pandemic to how that affected operations to net new business being down and, and finding new and interesting ways to work with existing business to, you know, hit your revenue goals to news technologies seem to be emerging every day. What's something from the field that you've been working on that if you were going to do it again, or as you're prepping, you've gone through some uh, ide uh, ideation or some, some different avenues. Yeah. So um, and if I'm, if I'm steering the wrong way here, Jason, pull me back. Um, but something that I'm a big believer in, and that's historically something that was kind of done in person, or at least through some of those relationships is threading. Um, and so, especially as we're trying to climb more and more up market here at Spiff, executive threading, uh, multiple people <laughs> kind of going, uh, like coming in at multiple angles of the deal becomes so important, I think, to get some of these deals done. Um, and we're like, you're not having as much networking going on as you were. I mean, we do, but I, I don't know about you, but I, I took the virtual happy hours pretty seriously for like the first two months of COVID. Yeah, of course. And then after, then after that, I think I signed up for maybe one in the past two years. Um, and so like, it's, it's a little bit of a different thing. And so we, I, I approached this, this is a, a project I've been taking on, I'm still taking on. Um, I mean, tried to build some in-house solutions for like, how can I help enable our sales team to know like who we're connected to? Um, we use things like LinkedIn sales, uh, navigator has team link on it. Yeah, we are. Um, we started using Crossbeam. We're testing right now another, another software called Cabal. Um, and then we actually also use a software called CoSell. Um, and we're, we're kind of testing out all of these. Cabal and CoSell are all really cool for anyone who's checking those out. Crossbeam is also really cool. Um, but essentially what it is, is it's, it's trying to help lessen the gap between like someone's personal network that they just know. Um, cause like LinkedIn, we all have thousands of, of connections on LinkedIn. If you go ask someone or an advisor or an executive or a board member, if they know this person on LinkedIn, that chances are it's no. Right. But right. what these are doing is making it so you can facilitate introductions or threading or really whatever you need to do to try to get that, the, the deal pushed through. Um, yeah and collaborate across the team with it. So it's, it's a cool thing. It's, it's been a fun problem to try to solve. Uh, it's a, it's impactful. It's new and there's some fun players in the space and um, it's been fun kind of playing around the new software. That's coming. Yeah. Out. I've been really looking at threading too. So I think this is a, it is a uh, something that's existed, right. And just like, I think RevOps existed in operations before the, before, you know, we as go nimbly gave it a name and, and helped popularize it. But Ultimately, I think threading has been there for a long period of time, but it's been very difficult to do successfully and also very uh, costly. Add on top of that, you know, the great uh, resonation that's happening across uh, all the different businesses, then tracking people's changes in business has also become a, a way to maneuver and grow your organization. So I really do think 
these are things that are only possible with the idea of revenue ops, which is cross-functionality, cross-functional selling, threading are really powerful now because I'm sure that this is not just a thing that you're limiting to the sales team as far as who can make introductions and how to expand this past organization. Am I correct in that assumption? Yeah, totally. I mean, we're even using it. We have a, we take a, we have an advisory strategy, right? We have a group of really smart people who are kind of along for the ride with us and they're applicable all over the board. So renewals, uh, I mean, on the revenue side, marketing, all of that, but even on the product side and some of the other things, as well as like, we have some really smart rev ops and sales ops people on that advisory board who our team will tap on their shoulder all the time and ask them for questions, tips, advice. Like it's, it's, I mean, on the revenue side, obviously there's a lot of, it's really lucrative there to nail that down, but also just from the health of your organization and building a cool culture and opening up opportunities for people. It's, it's just important, I think, to, to open that up. I want to talk about, uh, I don't know what you would say, uh, elephant in the room sometimes when you talk about threading and talk about using people's, I mean, essentially political capital or network to open up doors for you. I was having this conversation with a fellow CRO and we were talking about threading, we were talking about using technology that, that you mentioned. And one of the things they said is, uh, my team doesn't believe in the product enough that they are willing to use their personal network in order to get an introduction to someone who may not be successful with the product. How do you, and I don't know if that was true or not for their particular product, and I'm not mentioning the CRO in this example, but how do you get past those, those hurdles that my network is mine and doesn't belong to my organization or it shouldn't be accessed or I don't want to put my name out there because I'm not the one doing the deal. This is sometimes some competitive um, competitiveness I get into sales reps when one's working a deal that the other one has a contact at, but they're not really working it. So they don't want to bring those people in. How do you handle those very, I would say, personal objections to something that I do think, you know, just looking at the data does increase, you know, conversion by upwards to sometimes 10%. So how, how have you managed to deal with that psychological part of, of the problem space? Yeah. So, I mean, as far as like the rep to rep level, that one's tough, man. It comes down to having a team that likes to work together, trying to facilitate a good environment, a good culture. Um, we run into that all the time too. And like, we, we do our best to either potentially share deals, like a whole bunch kind of like we take it on a situation by situation basis. What I found is successful on the other side is one, um, it's more effective to do it mid funnel versus top is the first um, people are much more willing usually to say like, Hey, uh, I heard you're talking with Spiff just wanted to put in a good word. Um, that's to me, it's a little bit more effective. The, it's also a little bit more uh, the, the actual like friction and ask tends to feel a little smaller, lighter, more natural. Yeah. Um, and then when it comes like, but some people are also comfortable with that top of funnel. Like, I think if you're having a hard time having like an evangelist or people who actually like your product or the problem you're solving, it's going to be tough for just in general um, because people are not going to put their, their neck out there. What I've found though, is that most of the time people are, if you're, if you manage it correctly, meaning that you're not doing this every single day, you're being smart about the ask, you're being considerate. And then again, you're offering to help way before you're asking for this and you sincerely mean it. Um, you'll find that some people are willing to, to make that, that, that introduction, especially if they actually know that person. Um, and you'll see varying levels of introductions, whether they tell you that or not, like you'll have some people who, um, are went to college and we're in the same, same frat as someone, and they feel pretty comfortable telling them exactly what they think. You have others who they're still trying to build up that political capital with someone. And so they're going to be very careful with how they position it. 
but it's still an introduction, right? Um, and so from there, you can be a good dance partner and kind of take it and run with where you can take it. But um, for us right now, we do have kind of a liaison on these um, where we're, we kind of almost have like a valve that we're willing to pull as far as like how much we're willing to use it, how much we're willing to tap different resources. Um, and we're also just coaching people on it a lot. So when someone, like even with me, I've had someone who came today and said, hey, can you please get this person to share this on LinkedIn? And it's like, look, I, I have every intention to invest my network into Spiff, but like, it's just not the right thing for me to ask that person. So like, I need to go give that person the feedback that like sometimes people's personal networks or LinkedIn's like, they're not ours to play with, right? Like they're, it's yeah. a privilege once you get into it. So just make sure you treat it well and make sure that you're smart about how you use it. It never hurts to ask, but just keep a finger on the pulse on how it's going. What I heard, uh, tactical tips, one, overcome comp, issues by maybe building some kind of share comp structure, shared influence, uh, some kind of influence, something, something that makes that, that, yep. that medicine go down a little bit easier. Right. Uh, two, uh, if you're having trouble with this, maybe focus on mid level, uh, evangelism, bringing people in at the mid level, because then you have at least, Hey, they are, they did a demo with us and they liked it, but I would just really like you to, you know, give the good word for us that, you know, you're at that and look for the champions of your prod, uh, products to bring on to that advisory board or who you're actually reaching out to that. Those are three very tactical tips that people, if they're running, they're trying to build this program could, could do. Yeah, totally. hundred percent. Yeah. It makes just, and there's always going to be a little bit in betweens there, but yeah. Um, I love, love each of those things. That's well said. Awesome. Um, you know, one of the things that I believe in and that I'm very passionate about is that, you know, yeah, revenue operations, again, there are people in sales ops and marketing ops, customer ops, strategists, consultants, all who believe, believe that revenue was a cross-functional game, right? That, <laughs> that it really did take sales and marketing and customer success and that the lines between those things were blurring more and more. But before revenue operations, they were siloed into, say, sales operations and had a very specific job they sometimes needed to do that would get in the way of that cross-functionality and cause a lot of problems. It's really where GoNimbly found most of our consultants who work for us are ex-operators who are frustrated by the silos that they faced in their jobs. And so that's one of the things that I kind of point, put out to CEOs who are thinking about either making the transition to a revenue operations team, as an example, uh, internally. Um, or if I find someone who is trying to, you know, uh, bolster and make people excited about moving the, to the transition of RevOps. But in your career and in SPIF, how has revenue operations played a role or has it not? And what do you hope that it can do for your organization as a whole? Yes, I, I mean, RevOps for us at SPIF in multiple ways has been huge, right? I mean, no, usually if we can find a RevOps org, they're a pretty big say in whether they're going to purchase our product or not. So I have a very, like a very fair bias towards my thoughts on, on that space. Um, but I think there's, there's something cool that's happening, right? And maybe I'm seeing this wrong and I'll, I'll have you call me out on it if I am, but for a long time, I mean, the last 50, whatever years, the way that companies looked to solve problems, to make more money, to make it better was all at the customer, right? So and customer meaning the outside customer. So who you're selling to, who's using your product, who's actually buying. And we would move mountains to make their lives easier, right? And that's, I'm not saying that, I'm not actually disregarding that. I still think that's very, very important. Um, but I think what you're seeing with this rise of RevOps is the recognition that you have internal customers too. Um, and that you need to operationalize your org, um, especially on the revenue side of things. Um, and I actually think this is a cross-functional thing. Like I think there's a good, there's a good movement right now with like product ops and even like engineering ops and things like yeah. that, where you try to make life easier for everybody. But especially on RevOps, um, I think there's just been this realization that the best way to make your customers' lives better 
is actually to make your internal customers' lives better first and make it so that it's easier for them to do their job and focus on what's important. And that from there, it's only a positive cycle, right? So I think that's for me, like in my, in our organization um, and in any organization I go to in the future, it's RevOps is a, is an investment in your internal customers and to make their lives easier, make their jobs better. But also it's in the end an investment in your customer because you have a happier workforce, a happier team um, who are going to be a little bit more willing to stretch and find answers and a little more capable to do it as well. Yeah, I, I tend to believe that revenue operations is about the end, the end user customer, but bringing a personalized experience to them. And what that really means is that a customer doesn't fill the gaps in your external internal processes. So Gartner, GoNimbly, others who have sort of done surveys in this space have found that customers, they experience your gap with the handoff between X, an SDR and an AE, totally. as an example. And that erodes trust with them. It also so happens that that is a friction point internally in the organization as well, right? And so, yes, by reducing that friction, you also improve the customer. But, you know, RevOps as a whole will usually change your revenue, get you about, eh, you know, we use the number 26%, but let's say to be fair, between 12 and 26% more LTV off each customer. So it's really about maximizing the yes. And I think that what we found is there are certain operational processes our internal customers experience that are the reasons why those gaps get created, you know, uh, in mm -hmm. the first place. So I, I agree with you. I think that viewing your external customer and being customer centric of your external customer, but then also understanding that the reason there are gaps in your process is the pressure that you put onto your internal teams very well might be uh, the reason where in previous, what it was, was uh, the loudest actor in the room, right? We, I, I don't think that we were thinking about, uh, I, I think we thought a lot about, and I'm talking about in the, the mid 2000s and before, we thought a lot about individuals and the power and the authority that individuals had in organizations. So if my VP of sales told me to do something, or if the CEO said to do something, and I found that actually with revenue operations, it's been like looking at uh, more persona-based segmentation and understanding the entire you know uh, sales rep flow as an example and understanding where those gaps are and understanding the customer flow and understanding the executive flow more than it is reacting to individuals uh, as much as I think old administration used to be totally um, and so I, I think that there's a world where both of you know what what we both think can exist because it's no doubt in my world and obviously I've, I've made a living. Uh, preaching revenue operations and, and talking about it everywhere. And so I always have to go out on the extreme and say, it doesn't matter if the internals of your organization suck if the customer doesn't feel it. But the reality is the reason the customers feel it is because of those gaps in your internal, cust in your internal customer flow. So totally. I, I, you know, I'm willing to make a concession once in, once in my lifetime <laughs> on the podcast and say, I agree with you completely um, that, that that's an area of focus. How has Spiff been able to be successful or, or gain more traction because you were mentioning that a lot of your buyers are in the revenue operations field. What, what do you think connects to SPIF that connects to revenue operations? Like how have you been able to have that conversation? Yes. I mean, obviously different things fall under different words, right? So some, sometimes commissions falls like directly under finance. We're finding more and more that it's a rev ops function for a few reasons. One is because it's directly often tied to the performance of sales teams, right? Like how they're getting commissioned, how they're getting paid. 
for like all the right reasons should be something that's driving their performance. It's also becoming more and more system-based, right? Like people are trying to automate things as much as possible. Um, and so like more and more often you're seeing these systems who often are tied into your CRMs or ERPs or HRISs, HCMs um, that are, that are, Kind of falling under like a RevOps umbrella, at least in some extent. There's often a lot of dotted lines on commissions. It's a very cross-functional fun- uh, like process. But yeah, for us, it's been it's been huge, and I, I think um, we've been very fortunate during kind of this virtual remote work life where it's actually been a big boost to us because no longer can you go like talk to someone quickly and ask them a question about your commissions check. Like there's commissions are the reason why a good chunk of our workforce come to work every single day. Um, and so the reason why a lot of people choose to work harder or to not work harder, their certain role, like rightfully so. Um, and yeah. it's like, it's, we need to add transparency. We need to add visibility there. And it's, it's become a, a uh, we've been, again, we've been fortunate to kind of ride that wave of like, how can we make processes and things more visible for our sales reps, for our managers, for our leadership team and kind of all the above. It's quite kind of a crazy thing because the amount of conversations I've had about exposing commissions now via uh, pre-COVID is massive, right? And I and I didn't I didn't look at this the same way you did, but when you go remote, not only is it harder to just tap someone, but there's a lot of trust that everyone's putting into everything. So some core metrics gain visibility into it on a consistent basis becomes part of the trust building exercise that an organization can make with, with their teams. And, and, and I think that's what I was reading between the lines, right? That yeah. not only is it visibility of commission, but it's visibility of the exchange of uh, additional work or, or hard work or, or result work for, then I can see that immediately in a, in a visible way. Totally. Yeah. I mean, think about it, the, like anywhere between 40 to 60% of your average AEs, like livelihood comes from a commission check that's now usually being cut by someone they've never met before. And so like, there's a big chunk of that, like it's important to, to treat that right. So we've been um, just working a ton with RevOps, trying to make that as fluid, as visible, as transparent as possible. Like our, our big thing at Spiff, and this, this isn't meant to be a Spiff sales fest is like, is, but just trust. I think it's right? cool. Like build, build trust. So it's like, cool, we're, we're calculating commissions. That's great. But our actual goal is like build trust across orgs. And I actually think that's a big part of RevOps in general. It's like, you want to be able to trust your systems, trust your workforce knows what they're supposed to be able to, what they're supposed to be doing, that they have the tools to do to get their job done. Um, that the strategy is there and it's, it's set up like sitting the right foot forward. So um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're kind of right in that same, the same space there. Another big thing that's happening in conversations I'm having off camera with different people in RevOps is commission being paid out or bonuses being paid out across the revenue team, not just the AE. Is this a conversation that you see being popularized where now marketers and implementation of CS are all working towards you know, a unified customer and thus partaking more and more in the commissions piece? Or is this just like the cutting edge thought of revenue operations? So I think it is happening more and more just because it's, you can, like whether you're using a tool or not, it's the systems, systems are talking more. It's it's easier to track how much a certain team is contributing to your revenue or to your pipeline. Like, I know a lot of that's been around for a minute, but it's it's just continually getting better and better. Um, But you are seeing orgs that are doing more and more of like almost like a rev shoot, rev, sorry, I can't talk, revenue share model. Yeah, right. Where like we, I mean, here at Spiff, we actually commission every single person in the company. Um, So 
um, it's obviously it's a little different from like a salesperson to like a engineer uh, yes, or a right. computer engineer, but software. Uh, but yeah, so that's it's. I think it's something that's happening. I think sometimes it's a little idealistic just because it's people are trying to do essentially what they're doing is like bonus plans off of like a more of a qualitative type of goal. And that's awesome. Like we should totally be doing that as well. But I, I do think you're starting to see a transition towards getting people to be more focused towards one goal. Um, and then like now the systems are in place and the, the organizations in the spot where it can keep the focus and the enablement there to make it happen. Yeah. I'm definitely looking into this because I, I do think that when I look up what makes a successful customer, there's a lot of players that go into that that have different levels of risk and reward in that that need to be compensated uh, based on the outcome, not just the fact that they're doing that job. It's a very interesting time um, with all the systems sort of technology being essentially free, right? Like, mm -hmm. yeah, it's expensive, but you, you can, there's a lot of options out there. Uh, right. And also the fact that, you know, we are more remote and we need ways to see attribution and, and give back in ways that we didn't have before. So I think it's a very interesting time to be in this space. And I think that you've had a lot of interesting insights. Is there anything that you want to add about revenue operations or anything specific before we move on to my favorite part of the show, which is this or that? Um, no, I think this has been an awesome conversation. I've, I've enjoyed it. Thank you. Uh, this or that, it's a game where I'm going to give you one thing on this side and then another thing on this other side, and you're going to pick it. And I'm probably going to make fun of you a little bit. Are you ready <laughs> to play, Tanner? Okay. Let's great. do it. All right. Uh, city or small town? City. Okay. Which city? I'm a big San Francisco fan. I wish I, could, I, I was there before this, before the pandemic, and I, I'm ready to go back. I, I got to talk my wife into it now. I live, I live, moved back to Salt Lake City, which is where I'm from. But yeah, I just, I just like the city, I like the energy. I like the energy too. I'm, I live in San Francisco. I couldn't, didn't, wouldn't want to live anywhere else. Uh, New York is nice, I guess. New Orleans <laughs> is nice. Those are, those are sort of the other ones. And then maybe Barcelona, uh, then we get into there the European go. ones. Uh, team sport or solo sport? Team sport. What team sport is yours? So it's, what's funny is most of my life I grew up playing golf and that's the reason why I answered that so quickly is I wish I wish I wouldn't, I wish I would have played basketball <laughs> instead. So, yeah. um, so I just, I, it's more fun. It's more fun to do that. I mostly do basketball, uh, with, with friends. And yeah. Not, I find that, that with team sports, you can always blame someone else, which totally. is the value if I, of if I miss, yeah, And if I miss a shot, someone else can go get it and make it right. And yeah. I, uh, when I hook a drive, it's only me. It's only my fault. Live music or DJ? Live music. Okay. Uh, concert happens tomorrow. Who's playing? Um, so my favorite artist is probably it's probably Matt Carney that I'm going to go see. I'm more of like a kind of an indie acoustic, pretty like easygoing music person. Um, I listen to a little bit of everything. Funny enough, I actually listen to a ton of reggae too. Um, and that's kind of a weird thing to toss in there, but yeah, yeah. I picked up that I picked up the reggae vibe from you almost instantly. So that's yeah, that's good. Cool. Appreciate it. Uh. Okay, you have to learn something. Learn an instrument or work on a foreign language? Uh, probably an instrument. Uh, I keep answering the first one, but I've tried to learn languages before, and that's just not that's not not fun. And I think you can usually see a little bit more uh, a little bit more success faster with an instrument. <laughs> Introvert or extrovert? Uh oh. Yeah, it's hard. I'm, I probably actually fall somewhere in the middle, but if I have to go one side, I'm probably a little bit more of an extrovert. Yeah, I think so. Do you think that uh, introvert can be very good at, at revenue sales? Totally. I mean, I think, I think, um, 
compared to your average revenue salesperson, I'm very introverted. I think I'm actually an extrovert with how I interact with people. Um, but like, man, a day of selling can like really wipe me out, right? If I'm like really social, like a day of networking. So I actually think honestly that the best sellers are just people who are generally themselves. And if you're introverted or extroverted, it doesn't matter. I just think it's it, how you translate that in the conversation as if it was what determines how successful you are. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. I am terrible at small talk. It's, it's my Achilles heel because I don't actually care. And so I found that when I was trying to sell stuff through building like small talk bonds, I was terrible at it. I could not do it to save my life even. And then I found out, well, I can make conversation. I just need to talk about the stuff that I actually care about, like them. I actually care about people quite a bit. And so I could learn to have that kind of building rapport, but I had to do it in my own way, which was not, you know, I'm not a big sports guy. So I couldn't talk about sports teams. I couldn't talk about X, Y, Z. So instead I just needed to ask questions that I was interested in and lean in on it. And I found, oh, I can do this kind of work, which at first it seemed like this, uh, mystery box to me um, because it was just didn't seem like the advice I was getting was not uh, uh, tied to me. Totally. So I think being yourself is a, a big step to being a totally. Great I had a super similar like situation. Like you got to sell your own style, and if you're not selling your own style, the prospect or the other company will take tell, and yeah. it comes off as very fake, right? So, all right, here's a superlative. Your favorite movie to watch over and over again. <laughs> um. Doesn't have to be your favorite, just the one that you let's say you're looking through watch. the channels in a hotel and it's on that you're gonna stop and watch. You know what? So a classic for me is Remember the Titans. I think I was like, it's one of those ones, it's like I know exactly what happens, but for whatever reason, every time I see it, I sit down and I end up watching the whole thing. Maybe closely followed behind Rocky is behind oh that. My kind God. Of sports, I have, sports I have never turned off Rocky when it's on. <laughs> yeah, I, have, I have I have no idea why. It's just on and I'm watching it. I also really enjoy um, Pineapple Express if it's on. I, I enjoy yeah. I enjoy that movie quite a bit. Um, I was Love just it. watching The Righteous Gemstones, the season finale of that. If you haven't watched that, it's a pretty insane show. Uh, person you'd like to have dinner with besides me? I mean, you took the you took the answer from me. Um, oh, great, man. It's a tough one. Um, I don't know. Let's, we'll just go, uh, do you know what? For all the uh, terrible things that have happened to this person, still an icon for me is probably Tiger Woods. Uh, oh, I that's would, interesting. I would, I would hop on there. Um, just for, for the, I know, I know he said some interesting things happen to him, but I grew up kind of idolizing that as a golfer. I mean, I think that's still it makes him way more like, human in my book. Cause he was, yeah, like, I, I actually, that. yeah, I have different feelings around like that whole thing, but, and that guy, that guy was just his uh, mental state and the way that he competed and everything was just something else. I still think he's probably the best, one of the best athletes of all time. So. All right, here we go in the deep dive. These are the ones that take out the shovel. Uh, right. What's one skill you'd like to develop at work? Um, I wish I was actually a little bit more detail or process oriented than I am. Um, like I tend to, like my initial reaction to process is actually usually to like push against it and accept it later. Um, and so I think that's one thing that I'd like to do. And also uh, probably a second, <coughs> I'd, I'd actually love to learn how to code. So no, uh, I'd actually love to learn how to code. I can do a little bit of SQL, um, but I just think it's cool. A little jealous of people who can hop in there and just build something. It's such a cool out. skill, right? Totally. Um, I've felt that many times. I, I've learned, I was a database administrator early on in my career in college doing support. for, And, and so like I was on the technical side of things for a long time and <laughs> getting pretty good at development. 
but my personality always drove me back to being in front of customers um, or, or running teams or managing. So it's always been this thing where I'm always frustrated because I know enough, but I don't know how to like sit down and build something from scratch. Yeah, and that feels really powerful. We're totally the same. If someone gives me the data, I can do something with it, but I have no idea how to get it. Right. So it's like, it's, there's a lot, there's a lot of wish I could do there. What trait do you admire most in your coworkers? Patience, because they have to deal with me. <laughs> no. um, do you know, I, I like, um, I think grit is one I'd probably say, like, I just love people that can just get things done and figure it out and, and get it happen. We're, we're at a point now where we can hire lots of different people and it's, you're starting to kind of try to blend together good, good attributes of lots of different people to create a better whole. But um, I just love the people that grind it out, the people that prove people wrong by getting up and doing the work. Um, that's probably something that stands above it for me. One of my friends is a, a writer and he's written a couple, well, he has one New York Times bestseller and he's written two books. He's working on his third book right now and it's talking about scalability within organizations. And one of the things that he found was a predictor of scaling. And a lot of companies have said culture and all this stuff. And actually those things don't impact scaling. They might impact people's enjoyment of working in a company, but they don't impact scalability. But grit was the number one trait that is connected to scaling an organization from nothing to, you know, being a successful IPO or, or selling, you know, in the future. So I think that's a really uh, good thing to look for. So last open-ended question, what is grit to you? Um, besides perseverance, because I think you said it was perseverance. What, how do you identify grit? Um, I think grit is recognizing a problem, recognizing that it's going to be hard or difficult to solve um, and figuring it out anyways. And maybe I'm just like, re, maybe I'm just re no, I love that. perseverance, but like, I look at um, like, I think perseverance is trying, right? Yeah. Like I think grit is finding a way to get to the outcome you want, regardless of the avenues in which you have to take. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't think they're mutually exclusive, but I think that they're moving separate ways, right. Where it's like grit tends to be like, finding a problem and pushing through it and grinding and making it happen and um, taking the losses in stride and looking past them. Um, like, I think, I think there's a lot there uh, that I'm just, yeah, is probably how I would define that. Well, thank you, Tanner, for having the grit to sit with me through this podcast. <laughs> and I tried, it was, it was rough. Stand. It was rough. We, we I understand. Made it, yeah. I understand. I really appreciate your time. Uh, where can people find you if they want to uh, hook up with you and, ask great questions about your product or your life. Yes. I mean, uh, LinkedIn's always awesome. Like come, come at me on LinkedIn. We'd love to connect with anyone who's listening here. If you're in the Salt Lake area or in the Bay area, I'm, I'm in between both of them too. So let me know. Um, shoot me an email, tanner.spiff.com or shoot me a, an email via LinkedIn and let's connect and grab a drink or. Yeah. Uh, well, next chat. time you're in town, let's us grab a drink. And say let's do it. I really appreciate sounds, that. Sounds great, man. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. And until next time, uh, keep on operating operators out there. That's a tagline I've never tried before. I just thought I would try it. How, what was it? Good I, I like it. Yeah, I liked it. I liked Great. it. All right. Cool. Thank you. Have a nice night. Okay. Thanks for Bye. Buddy.